This episode is brought to you by Combo Curve, uh, the cloud-based operating system for energy companies. We met these guys early on back when it was just Armand and Jeremy, and now they're up to like 75 people. They just closed on a Series B round of funding and are rapidly expanding the platform's core capabilities. So they're crushing it, and I think they're crushing it because they're doing what people said was impossible. Everyone said, hey, when it comes to reserves and economic software, Aries and PhD win, they can't be beat. They're the incumbents, they're the legacy software. They've been around forever. That's what the banks use, it's the format the banks like. But guys like Armand and Jeremy used Aries and PhD Win themselves. And all of their friends also used Aries and PhD Win. And everyone knew that something was missing. And it was just a it was just not really a, a great and comprehensive product. And everybody always complained about it. So these guys, long story short, set out to scratch their own itch and they're proving all the doubters wrong. So now you engineers can take raw data and generate a detailed cash flow statement in minutes not in days. And so their integrated platform lets you feed in live data, forecast, create type curve, generate economics, map and schedule, all of that, then in one single tool that you can collaborate with your team on. One of the coolest parts is that it's actually beautiful software. It's got such a great UI UX. It was one of the first things that I, sh I said to the guys whenever they first showed it to us. And so it makes working in combo curve enjoyable. So if you want more information or if you want to schedule a demo, head on over to combocurve.com. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Got the boys from Rivet here today. What's up, guys? Hey, what's going on? What's up? So... Clay and Miles. I can't remember either one of y'all's last names. Actually, wait, I think yours is Bonin, right? Yep. Clay Bonin. Miles was your last Hill. name? Hill. Miles Hill. Miles was actually in the running for uh, my second born in, term, in terms of naming. It's super popular now. It is. Coming. It's making a comeback. Yeah. Five-year-olds and dogs. Lots, I'll be at the dog lots of dogs and, and five-year-olds. around Miles. Yeah, not a whole lot of 40-year-olds named Miles. And Miles, do you were the Marine Corps, too? So yeah. Five yeah two to six. So what do you guys riv rivet? What do you guys do? Sure. So we're an IoT solution uh, focused in upstream completions where we're focusing on data acquisition and transmission. Yeah. We've noticed, not noticed, we've seen that there's a clear gap in the standard. There's not one, right? You get to drilling, you've got WIT0, WITSML, you've got PaySons. People are actually got a standard around since the 70s. Completions, Data formats are changing. Nobody knows how to get it. Delivery mechanisms are non-uniform. They're emailed at random times. They're FTP servers. They're screen shares to get in and mm -hmm. see your data. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we install a device on location, frack, wireline, coiled tubing, drilling rig, whatever it is, and we start transmitting that data. Uh, we send everything real time, and we deliver it directly to a client-owned data silo. And that way, all that data becomes raw, unfiltered, and we pass ownership directly to the client in real time. Okay. So going back to the problem that you said, uh, there, there is no standard in the completions data. Are you guys implementing a standard, or are you just giving them the raw data and allowing them to kind of run with their own kind we of are working, data structure? Yeah, we're working towards a standard. So okay. there's a very common web protocol standard coming through. Um, the, the dominant form of transmission today is via JSON. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's currently what we're going with because that is something that every single system knows how to ingest and use. Mm -hmm. And the way we're doing that is we're automatically mapping um, either through manual channel mappings or through an ML-based uptake to, to help with that. Mm -hmm. And we're working on basically an extensible but fairly rigid format that can be predictable. And to do that, we're forming a set of canonical names for all the channels. That way, whatever you call it, this is the the one name mm -hmm. that everybody can refer to it as. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of players that are kind of coming into this space, and so I'm going to ask a lot of questions to kind of figure out where do you guys play, who do you you know compete with, who do you complement. Let's just kind of go through some examples. Uh, Corva used to be in this building on the right across the street. Uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with what they do. Sure. In terms of you know kind of real time drilling analytics. Um, right there, they have towers in their office and they're able to kind of call back to the directional driller, yep. kind of give them a little bit of oversight uh, and insight into uh, what kind of needs to happen in real time. Um, some pretty cool tools there. You've had guys like Restream that kind of do a little bit more of the same thing, a little bit different flavor. Um, you've got um, the guys at Coldbore, right? Yep. And that's like very, very specific in the field, in the frack van. We've seen that live with, with EQT when we went up there on location. Um, and a couple others. And so I'm curious within that space, would like those be guys that you're competing with? If so, like how, or are you complimenting them? Where do you guys play? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of those are platform as a service. Yeah. Right. They're value adds. They're building applications on top of data. They are bringing on new clients and scaling them into that space. And so you mentioned drilling analytics, right? Mm -hmm. Corva cut their teeth on drilling analytics and they've done a fantastic job and they've been gaining market share and completions. And those other companies also platforms or you're hiring out sensors to go on location. So we're more of a, we're very, a much smaller operation. So if you think of those companies like a cable TV service, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting the whole package, whether you use it or not, we're going to be like a streaming service, like a Netflix. Mm -hmm. We're going to get you just that data, and instead of us owning it and it going into our cloud and you asking permission mm. to access it, we are putting it directly into the client's hands. We do some value-added computations, computations uh, automatic wellbore detection, uh, frack or pump-down stage type detection. Uh, some other things we're working on as well to do those value adds, but the main thing is getting those data to the client as fast as possible and keeping them in control. That way they own it, the security is their own security, and we transfer everything to them without having any sort of, we're not building anything to add value to their competitors. Mm -hmm. So for those people who are not in like the completion space, like how are, how are things kind of traditionally done without like what you guys do? Sure. Clay, you want to take this? Um, I would say really not much of a tradition, right? Yeah. But uh, some more common solutions, more well-known solutions that, that are offered now in the space are... Um, they're kind of single homed, right? As in, everyone can get data out of the frack van. It's nothing new, right? It's right. It's kind of, I guess that might be the standard, right? But you have so many different acquisition systems. You have control systems. Uh, everything there is a little bit different. So you've got different formats, different labels, different names. But then when Claytree can vary greatly, right? So I think the way that in the completion space is kind of our bread and butter, the difference that we do is. We're not limited to ingestion, like a number of ingestion points or methods, right? So some offer 
the fracturing or stimulation of the pump data directly from that, you know, built the treatment plot that helped you manner. We're all familiar with it, sitting there and watch and judge performance of the frac, right? Then you have the other phases. So you have wireline, but then you have, that's another system. You have pump down, it's another system. You might have some like smart well heads that have valves in positioning, um, like, I don't know, just all kinds of new stuff coming out all the time, automated fuel solutions, mm -hmm. um, sand silos. Everything is censored, right? So we kind of can mold to anything. So we've done stuff for people in the field where we just pull frac data. But then we have other clients that want 15 different sources, disparate sources from one location, all delivered and synced, right? So Miles uh, and I've come up with uh, a few ways around that, but like the time sync method, stuff like mm -hmm. that, right? And you really don't have to solve that. There's other ways around it to make the data usable. So the way that we deliver the data, we would make a platform that already exists, I guess the short answer is, um, complementary to really anybody who wants to use it. Any existing platform, whether it be uh, a pass or a SaaS or a licensed product or something like that, it would just simply feed to that and they could use it. So if I understand correctly, a single source of truth for completion is data specifically. Mm. Right now, absolutely. Yeah. Completions data is our focus, yeah. source yeah. of truth. Yeah. Yeah, Can way. we expand outside of that? Yeah. We're so regardless of what your, let's just say, completions tech stack is. Right. Those words probably never been used together, but it makes sense. Yeah. You can pull everything in together and you understand it. And like you said, all this data is time series data, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so being able to single that up yep. with the time series is extremely important. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, because when you get into the plug and perf operations stuff, you know, it's no longer just time series and you get into some kind of like depth or spatial right arena. So we've come up with ways that don't rely on actual time, right? It, it's kind of abstract and Miles probably could explain it better, but it's keeping it as simple as possible, right? Not creating problems that really shouldn't exist in the first place. So yeah, it's, uh, I'd say, you know, we coil tubing as well, the whole mm -hmm. phase of the completion, you know, as soon as drilling is off, the rig is gone, you come on, you start building the wellheads, everything like that, you go through all the way to like the last mill being plugged out, right? So, and we're also looking at, uh, with, uh, with a pretty decent sized operator about getting uh, flowback data, you know, cause they want to measure multi-phase flow. They want to know what the dollars and cents are, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so they want to know what's coming out and uh, not just produce water, so. I got a million questions. Before we get there, let's kind of go back into, you know, how to rivet start and kind of even prior to that, like what are y'all's backgrounds? Uh, okay, well. My background, I guess we'll go way back. Um, so formal educations, uh, Ohio State, so go Bucks. Mm -hmm. um, math and physics, specifically geophysics or mineral physics and mathematics. And then I worked in the big shale boom up in Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. You know, when it was like, let's like, what is a formation? I don't care. Let's just cram as much sand as we can because there's 11 <laughs> wells on this pad and we're not sending it back. We already paid for it, right? Yeah. It didn't matter. We were printing money at the time. What was it a hundred buck? buck 20, I can't remember, but I mean, stage bonuses were good. I mean, money was good. Nobody cared. Nobody cared, right? And so then kind of crashed down. So started out in the field and I started swinging a hammer. Like, you know, said, we don't give a fuck about your education. Here's a hammer. <laughs> learn what a chicken is, mm -hmm. how to rig up a wellhead, you know, the canes going up to it and things like that. And this was back before they had 
you know, like uh, hydraulic zipper manifolds and stuff. We'd go out there banging iron between stages, dude. Brutal. Anyway, so did that and then kind of worked my way up. Um, and then ended up in like a service supervisor position track side. So it was there and then got into the tech side and I started working um, in the, the data side for oil and gas. And what really helped me with that was my previous experience. So IT network admin for a college here in Houston. And then before that, I worked on something called the MAN team, Metro Area Network, or well, it's Ethernet network, the backbone fiber for Comcast, or Time mm-hmm. Warner, whoever they were at the time. So large-scale network engineering, then with fiber, physics, math, rocks, hammers. So it's not like that, that, that move into kind of tech within oil and gas was like, that interest was already there, that experience was already there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so it was just kind of natural. Yeah. And it was interesting because I noticed, I found quickly, that a lot of companies that come from outside the industry come in and see it as an opportunity but then they get you know they get into it and like mike tyson says you, everyone's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth right and they get in there and they realize okay well this is outside first of all it's very mobile it's always moving there's how many sources mm-hmm. and they can only export this but they can only do this free it's just it's a mess and you have to have a lot of subject matter knowledge to understand what is valuable mm-hmm. right? so what so once you transition to the tech side like what specifically were you doing on the tech side the tech side um i well i did a brief stint in midstream and downstream okay. so it was a contract for the epa so i was going there making sure nobody was gaming the system so as you could imagine i was very popular uh down on 225 they love me dude but yeah <laughs> it was brutal so um so I was doing that for a while, and then I transitioned out, and I started, uh, I worked at Corva um, when the, they were out on Park 10, you know, further out on the freeway. That makes sense. You were like, I didn't, I didn't put two and two together that you worked at Corva, and you were like, yeah, I used to work in this building when Corva was here. I thought you just happened to work in the building at the same time, but it makes sense that Corva was the only one in the building. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> We made the move over. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that's where I met Miles, actually. Okay. So you were at Corva, too? Oh, shit. I remember an, I, <laughs> uh, the plot unfolds. Yeah. It all unfolds. Well, now I look like an idiot asking answering these no, questions. I mean, well, you know, um That's what the no prep gets you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, this same year, like ass. I I called Miles. I was like, like, what dude. the fuck do you guys know about Corvette? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, what are we gonna talk about? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, I don't know either. I've had a long day so far. <laughs> I got up at four and my brain is fried, so let's just do this. But yeah, no, that's where I met. Um I remember I had came back from Midland and it was a hell of a stretch and I remember coming back and uh, it was like the big joke was people would sit at my desk on purpose just to fuck with me, you know, mm-hmm. and when I come back and everyone would put them up to it. So some new guy would get hired and then I'd come back and they'd be sitting at my desk and I would just, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. That's how it is. That's fine. Okay. And I remember, I remember he came back and Miles was the only guy who did not sit at my desk. He had his own desk. And had it all set up, did himself. Would you, if you didn't have your own desk, would you have set at his desk? <laughs> you know, I'm a huge believer in don't touch my stuff and I won't touch yeah. yours. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't met Clay yet. And we didn't know each other. Yeah. And when he came into the office, it was usually scowling with a backpack oh, and stomping yeah. through with his boots. And so <laughs> he's not wrong. But I don't know you yet. You don't know me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we Funny just, story. We actually, so Ryan left that, that poster here. 
in this building and we just randomly found it in a pile of trash and we're like, oh, we'll just hang it up. <laughs> then he comes in and he was like, that's my poster. And I'm like, we well, can have it back if you want it. <laughs> but the, Get like it the, done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I recognize that. Yeah. But There's I also know. a banana photo somewhere around here. Too. I remember, I, I remember think the, that one. the first thing I did, I walked I up to you, remember I walked up to you and um, put my hand out. I was like, how are you doing? I'm Clay Bonin. Pleasure to meet you. He introduced himself. Mm-hmm. And so I guess we're working together with him. And I was really tired. Like I, I mean, just got off, just left hobby, got my, got my car, came to the office just to pick some stuff up for mm-hmm. a few minutes, whatever. Uh, basically let everybody know I still work there. <laughs> and um, I think I remember the last thing I said to you was that you had a long curly hair at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yep. was like and he had glasses. Can't imagine too. you with long curly hair. I oh was, yeah, I remember, man bun at the time. Yeah, was, what? But it was it was just up, My hairstyle like, evolves with the seasons. Yeah, no. I was like I was like, well, it's nice to meet you. You look like a handsome Al Franken. I'll see you later. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, and that was it. And then that shit, I think it was back on the field. I don't remember that shit was crazy, but it was so fun. just okay. <laughs> this is this is unfolding here. Okay, so. Which, what was your background? Can I pri- yeah, yeah, pri- yeah. Party? So, uh, so, so you guys, you guys met at Corvo. So let's go back before like so all the way back. back. So uh, Marine Corps Infantry, O two yep. to 06. Uh, I was out at Twenty Nine Palms, Kill. like you were for all those years. Um, after the Marine Corps, went to college, was studying geology, chemistry, goofed around, dropped out, got into the oil field, worked for Halliburton for three mm-hmm. years, electric line, and TCP. Were you back in Texas this whole time? I was in Texas, yeah, so I got out of the Marine Corps, moved to Austin, okay. working at Gold's Gym, goofing around at college, mm-hmm. got, went up to Fort Worth and was working out at the Alvarado Yard before okay. it shut down, and I was one of, it started as 13 of us and then whittled down to two when the 2008 mm-hmm. bust hit. So TCP through the better part of MidCon... Then I spent the last year and a half focused on electric line. Got tired of cold, wet all the time. And I saw Mm -hmm. these kids much younger than me coming in and me basically training them to replace me. So Mm -hmm. made the decision, going to go back to school. Uh, Got into Austin Community College, picked up the credits, got into UT, graduated uh, with a BS in physics with a focus in computation. And to get through all that, I had to learn how to code. So was that so like, okay, pause, <laughs> young kids coming and replacing you. Was that like a, do you have like a chip on your shoulder or do you identify that like, hey, I need to fucking learn tech? It or wasn't, was, so it wasn't that I had a problem that they were young. Mm-hmm. It's that they had no experience and I was training them to mm-hmm. replace me. They weren't, yeah. they didn't have any field experience. And also they had a real attitude that they belonged there and that I felt that I had earned it getting to that point. Mm-hmm. And not that they didn't earn it. They earned a technical degree and there's nothing against them. Mm-hmm. And I say kids, there was one in particular, and I can't remember his name, but he just really stood out in my head as an ass. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to drag through the mud every chance I got. <laughs> he did beat his ass. I'm just, I don't know. I, yeah, I was <laughs> fairly. So, so why, like, why specifically did you choose that degree? So... A few weeks before I EAS out of the Marine Corps, I knew I was supposed to go to college, right? That's the plan. You know, yeah. that's what everybody does. I, mean, I, was in the, I was in the same boat and I was like, yeah. I knew what I wanted. I knew the end goal, like 10 years from that. I just didn't know how to get, how to get the, there. How to get there. And so I was like, uh, computer science, because I learned about startups. And I was like, 
I don't know any developers, so I'll just become one myself. Yeah. And then made it two semesters before I ended up in Oldfield. <laughs> so. so I went down to the, the library there at 29 mm-hmm. Palms, and I picked out two books. One was Simon Winchester's Krakatoa, which is Is it a library? Yeah, there was a library. <laughs> I didn't know if I could read back then, if I'm being <laughs> honest. <laughs> I knew how to aim. Yeah. <laughs> so I picked up this book. It was on uh, Volcanic Eruption, Krakatoa, 1893. And great book. Simon Easy Winchester, read. amazing author, super exciting book. And then I picked up short, A Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. And I was reading these concurrently. And then when I finished those two books, I thought, okay, I have no idea what Hawking said. None of this. None of these pictures. The kids' coloring pages didn't make yeah. sense. So like, geology's probably the route I'll go. Mm-hmm. I was terrified of math at the time. So a little bit of research said you only needed like basic calculus for geology. But it, and so I, I excelled. I did really well. I was super geology student, but I wasn't ready for school at the time. I just mm-hmm. hadn't matured to the point where I was ready to face those the academic rigors for an upper degree. And so after the oil field, I realized, like, because I did really well at engineering school, I did well at all the schools that they sent me to. Hell, in the Marine Corps, I was honor graduate from squad leaders course, machine gun leaders course. So I realized that I had the capability, but I'd never tapped it. And so that's what I sat down with a, a like algebra, pre-algebra book before I left the oil field. And I remember just in my apartment working fractions for hours, like, page after page going through. And so I started in physics. And then, but what I realized is learning, learning to code is what got me through it. Because mm-hmm. UT is heavily theoretical mm-hmm. and they do a lot of great work, but pages and pages of proofs was just like being in an abusive emotional relationship for me. It was <laughs> brutal. I was always up at the VA counselor, <laughs> like just bemoaning, bemoaning this difficulty. Uh, but I got a, a physics honor course, and they were learning. They were teaching you to use Mathematica, right? The Wolfram language, mm-hmm. which now powers Siri and a whole bunch of other natural languages. Didn't know that. Yeah, super powerful stuff. But it was a free license to all the physics students, and all of a sudden, the difficulty of solving the mechanics of solving was removed, and the difficulty was placed in conceptualization of the results. Mm-hmm. And so progress rocketed forward like i did well on homeworks and conceptual stuff but i struggled on the handwritten stuff graduate college in 2015 i'd been interning for a company business laboratories based out of houston and uh, george danner the founder and ceo a super brilliant guy and he focused on solving very complex problems for very small teams so one of those problems was there was a oil and gas distributor, there's multiple refineries, there's multiple locations, you have a fleet of vessels with multiple compartments. Mm -hmm. And so we would build optimization engines using ML and evolutionary algorithms to basically produce a set of schedules that best represented the optimum amount shipped for the price you were shipping. Mm -hmm. So we were optimizing profit and and the way it was delivered. I did that for a little while, uh, but I felt like I needed to branch out because it was small Small things and not enterprise level. Uh, met up with a guy called Mike. Uh, his name's Mike Fry. He, co- he founded a company called Yellow Basket, custom software shop. And they brought me in and worked on something, uh, a big client natural gas processing plan. Mm-hmm. I helped build out some of that user interface back in flow. Uh, and then I branched into IoT. 
worked at Payson Power, which is now Energy Toolbase, and that was building, uh, working on the control systems for solar plus storage. So mm -hmm. you got a building like this that's attached to solar panels and some batteries, and you're trying to shave your peak demand. Those control systems have the algorithm for doing mm -hmm. And then from there, once I got into IoT, I was hooked. I loved streaming lots of data. Corva was looking. I had a great interview with him. I came over, and I was uh, one of the two people that was working on their actual data box at the time, their stream box. Came in, did some work on it, revamped some things. Uh, March 16th, right, of 2019 hit. Oil prices went inverted. The next week, nation got locked down. Mm -hmm. And um, it caused a lot of a lot of turnover. Yeah, it caused a lot of turnover, and so I kind of waffled around a little bit. I I didn't. I left because I was a software developer, and software developers mm -hmm. have the luxury of flipping a button on LinkedIn and flirting off to wherever they want to yeah. go next. So nineteen, so nineteen happens, and then subsequently we also have, I guess, the end of nineteen, and then early twenty twenty COVID. Mm -hmm. So making the assumption you guys got laid off at Corva and then you guys just, do you keep in contact at that time or? We, we did. We did. Um, I'm curious how the idea of like rivet came, well, came to be. And then like, like what is the inception of that? Um, I think, well, miles and I connected right away. And I remember there was actually one particular moment was before he got hired, uh, I was facing some difficulties, things that needed to be done and stuff like that. Uh, and, Whatever the case may be, I remember I was out in uh, it was the eleventh hour out in it was actually Midland County, so it wasn't even really that far, but it still sucked, right? You know. But I remember he sent me a message, and he's like, "Hey, man, uh, he, you know, he was working in software, and I was working in operations, and he's like, "Hey, man, um, whatever you need, call me twice. It's on sleep, but I'll wake up and do whatever you got." And it was like the first time that in a long time since I transitioned into tech that somebody was like you know, the golden rule, like you don't leave a man out alone out in the field, right? Mm -hmm. You got to have some backup. You just don't leave somebody out there. Right. So mm -hmm. that was kind of like turning point. And then we just really started working well together and then we just became friends. So yeah, we did stay in touch after that. And back to the idea where it kind of came from is we would keep in touch over that summer and then kind of just bullshit. I mean, we live three minutes from each other. Right. So, uh, go out with the wives and stuff and just, you know, hit a bar or something like that. But then I think it was over, was it, it was a vegan burrito place, wasn't it? This episode is brought to you by Liquid Frameworks. Liquid Frameworks has become the standard in field operations management software over the past decade with their field effects platform. And now they're taking it to the next level now that they've been acquired by ServiceMax, an acquisition that wouldn't have happened if they weren't bullish on our industry continuing to boom. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see in 2022. So the recount for now has kind of leveled off. So take advantage of this time to invest in your success in the new year. If you're still dealing with mountains of paperwork and your ops team is always stressed out, do yourself and do them a favor and check out FieldFX. The FieldFX platform streamlines communication between accounting, field operations, office management, all with the touch of a button. And they're trusted by teams at Liberty Willfield, XPro, ShawCore, ChampionX, and numerous others that you guys know about. So if you're still stuck on paper and Excel and thinking about finally making that switch, come on, guys, it's 2022 coming up. Check out the website, schedule a demo. We've got a link for you to sign up for a custom demo in the show notes, liquidframeworks.com forward slash digital wildcatters, or just click the link in the show notes. Yeah. 
That's where all the good ideas yeah. happen. Vegan or <laughs> At first I was like, how could I make this? because your, your energy is not spent digesting meat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? And I was just trying to figure out the hottest sauce they had so I could cram it down my pie hole. But now I was sitting there and I thought about it. And I remember we had kicked some ideas around. And, you know, it was kind of taking shape there. It was literally at that table at that vegan uh, Mexican restaurant, which was actually pretty good up at Long Point. Yeah, Costco Bells. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then the next time, I think when the actual question came on, because I was kind of fishing around for kind of, I guess, a team to bring the kind of idea that I had in my head alive. And the idea was, and a lot of people looked at me like I was missing the point when I would tell them my idea. And the idea was, well, I had sort of then Miles really brought the idea together, a full circle for me, right? And mm-hmm. so I was like all data, data, no, no visuals, just data only. And people were like, oh, okay, but then how do I see the data? I'm like, however you want. They're like, well, mm. right. And that was, the- we had a really hard time early on explaining yeah. to people that it's just data, right? Because yeah. all these platform solutions. So you could just feed it into Spotify, right? That's we we partnered with Tipco. We have a partnership think, with Tipco, dude. Every EMP, not every EMP. I just every like, yes, every EMP. Pretty much mid-sized to large EMP has at least a few users that are using Spotify already, yep. and that's so easy to go we, to go in and be like, hey, you already have Spotify. We're just giving the data, plug it in. So build your visualizations however well, you want. We're just the pipeline. We we actually are in, in a project with them or. About to the second up, project. Second project, yeah. So there's they have a completions accelerator, completions IoT accelerator that was on their website that was released. We put some stuff out about it, but that was just a basic viewer to view live data. You download it. If you got Spotify, it's free, right? Okay. So we the rule was we got to make it not rule, but nobody can profit from it if it's an accelerator. It's that's the the gimmick of it. It's a community thing. You download it, no cost. No one directly profits. So we lent some of our IP and some of our SME right um, knowledge, and we developed something. And it was literally just a live viewer for treatment plot, uh, for wireline, uh, pump down, and coil. Huh? Very. It's just we did it because we could. We did right. it like what a couple weeks. Yeah, but from so from those simple beginnings of just a an accelerator type thing where they could download and see their historic data that they have in their own data storage, we've evolved it into an end to end complete solution. Mm-hmm. So you, the user, you have the Tibco software required, or you pick up the you pick up Streambase, which is the only requirement, and we have a whole set of treatment plots, wireline plots, uh, pad metrics, mm-hmm. back history analytics. You have all that at your hands, plus you have all the experience of the tool that you've already been using. You've already mastered over whatever your time is. This is the environment you're comfortable in. And so for the end user for these companies, we install a device, we plug it in, we turn it on. It pumps that up to a TIBCO-connected endpoint. Mm -hmm. The TIBCO-connected endpoint is pulling. It consumes that data as soon as it gets it, and then it's right there. It's getting piped into your data silos. It's getting published to all of your TIBCO connected dashboards. Every engineer that has access has. So what do you say if you go to, I don't know, let's just pick on somebody like, um, we should pick on Oxy. We like picking on Oxy, right? Okay. You go to Oxy, right? And let's just say you're talking to the IT guy because operations guy is not going to know this. And he's just like, but Miles, we have a, we have a data warehouse. How is this any different? What do you guys say? Oh, well, so 
they're housing it. Yeah. I mean, but to get that, they have no ingestion point, right? Like, it's cool if you have a, I can have 10 silos out back. Well, they're not full of grain. They're not worth anything. So they can have all the data warehousing they want. If they want to open up an endpoint to us, SQL, protobuf, any, st- any sort of communication protocol that they want, I'll build a connector. And I can pump it directly into their data warehouse. If they got TIBCO, that's fine. We'll pump it into a TIBCO-connected endpoint. So basically, the, a lot of times what you see with IT is like, I built this. This is mine. Like My VPC, don't touch. And mm-hmm. I, I've worked for those corporations. It's a pain to, to manipulate those. The only thing we need to integrate with that sort of standoffish ID department, IT department is a single DMZ with a single ingestion point where you can quarantine your data, right? So we have write-only write access to a single place. We mm-hmm. write in a, uh, like an influx DB format, and it's there. Mm-hmm. And then they can pick it up and do whatever they want with it. I'm sure that would be like one example of kind of like an objection. But like, what else do you hear from... Like as you're as you're kind of out there hitting the roads, talking to potential EMPs, yeah. like what are some of the things that you guys kind of hear back? And you know, is it like an edu- you know, say it's a uh, some sort of rebuttal? Is it like an education barrier or? Yes, we had a really good one recently. Uh, it was a business contingency. Yeah. So with the platforms, uh, Corvus and other others, your data is contained and hosted on their cloud platforms, right? So mm-hmm. they are responsible for maintaining its security and that it's always alive. See, that's something I didn't know. I always figured that they had at least one copy of that, but I always thought the clients would have at least As the some client other consumes that data, they then have their own copy, but mm-hmm. it's not an automatic process to deliver that data to them. Gotcha. As far as I, as far as I know the product. Mm-hmm. And so how we handle that is if that is a concern, so our client that we were speaking with said, what happens if we get a ransomware attack? And our entire network is locked up. How do we, how can we get our data back? How can we do all that? And so one option we provide is basically a cold storage solution where we'll pipe a copy of every single thing that's ever from start to finish. And we'll put that in a low to no touch storage solution. So it keeps the cost way down. Mm -hmm. And then in the event that something happens to them, hey, no problem. Your real-time data feeds are still up and active in a secure VPC that's IP restricted through the TIBCO connectors or through their own connectors, so they still have access to real-time data. And all of their historic data, no problem. It's all been uh, AWS KMS encrypted. It's all there. And so all we have to do is either, one, give them permissions, which is a few minutes' worth of process to do, or two, bundle it up and share it with them in whatever format they have. Mm-hmm. But that was the biggest one most recently, the business, business contingency. Yeah. I, I think another one, well, in the very beginning was skepticism, mm-hmm. like truthfully. So I think I'll go, I'll take it back real quick and we'll just do like a non-technical, um, just, I guess, C-level 30-second sales pitch that you would say. Okay, so you have all these operations in the field. Um, you have the well creation cycle, which we cover the entirety of, right? Not just completions, but that is our bread and butter, right? So, so you drill the well, you stimulate the well, you pull the plugs out, you flow it back, you go in your first 90 days, right? We can cover all of that. Now, the thing is that there are multiple sources, even with drilling now, you get into these really specialized pumps and things like that with new muds and everything. So it's all about efficiency and automation, ultimately, right? So what you end up with is a pitch of saying, hey, Mr. So-and-so, 
uh, Mr. CEO at Oxy, or VP, whoever it is, right? Um, we're going to install one device on your location. We'll wirelessly consume uh, via mesh network or wired, whatever they want to do. So one box, so one point, will consume all sources of data. There's no limit on it. And we'll do that for all of your operations. And then we'll deliver it to you in a JSON notation labeled with the value. So it's not just like CSV, even if it is given to us without labels. That's a whole other story. But we'll take all your data, no matter what, deliver it in a uniform way directly to where you want it. And in this case would be, say, we'll deliver it to your TIPCO endpoint of Streambase, which is a stream processing application. And then all, hypothetically, you know, you know, have 30,000 engineers, but all 30,000 people that have a license to Spotfire can download this. And you can all view the same data from everywhere in the world, from every single operation, whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like, this bullshit. So, so there's an actual device in the field that actually aggregates it and then streams it. Would this be considered like kind of like an edge device? It is an edge device. Yeah. And it's Miles Baby. And it is pretty fucking cool, right? And it's not, I think... So this is something you guys built yourself? No. Miles can explain. The, the hardware itself is... Uh, it's an IoT edge certified device for rugged conditions so mm -hmm. solid state no moving parts it's got the com ports that we need the processing mm -hmm. power we need um now all the software that runs on that yeah that 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 i wrote all the mm -hmm. lines of code for that and it stores the, so in in general a data flow scenario would be data are created flow into the system we capture those data they get mapped on the device and they get published out what if you don't have internet? Well, we have local persistent storage, so we can store for about a year of frac data. So if you, for some <laughs> reason, lost internet for a year, we could have that data. Uh, as data come back on, we begin publishing that, republishing. And so the device itself, it's as long as it's got power, internet, and, is, and data are flowing in, mm -hmm. then everything's going to continue on. So we have monitors in place where if it, if data goes out for too long, we can be made aware. Right? There's certain dead man switches that we need to know about just in case. Mm -hmm. But we're really, we're really trying to limit the amount of support that's dependent upon us and push that back to the client. And that's where partnering with companies like Tibco or them having it in their own system because mm -hmm. then they they know if they're finished with a well. Like I don't want to have to call every time. Like, oh, you <laughs> finished another pad? Great. I'll I can turn this warning off and go to bed. Yeah. No, really though. It's it's. It's as good as it sounds. It sounds very simplistic, but that's the point and the kind of the beef in it, right? So uh, it's technology as a whole is any type of technology really is just extremely, just infinitely complex, complex and complicated, right? But you don't think of it because you use an interface. So you're detached from that, what really happens behind the scenes and simple questions that you may ask. Why can't I can't have X? Why can't I have Y? Why can't you take this data from these and put them all together magically and just give them to me in the way that I want them when I want them and the frequency that I want them, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Because it just doesn't work that way. It's very hard to do. And that's why a lot of, I guess, not just, you know, would be RDS or, or um, Kelvin or whoever it is that's in the space that offers that kind of platform-based type deal is... Um, it's just you 
they're building the house before they build the foundation. Mm-hmm. That's literally, I think, the best analogy, right? So anything that you want to do that you want, like remote treating or the next thing, there's just huge talk about automation, autonomous everything. Um, actually really running algorithms, actual really using machine learning type setups and processing in real time, mm-hmm. you need that strong foundation of reliable, repeatable schema. Data is where it's all built. Data is a commodity. Data is probably the most valuable commodity side of energy as a whole, but in energy, I'd say it rivals the product itself almost because it's very powerful. Everybody wants it for various reasons, whatever the case may be, but it all goes back to that. That's the foundation. So we offer like a, that's what we do. We offer the foundation to put anything you want on top of it. We don't, we're open to work with anybody. It'd be service providers, uh, analytics platforms, perceived competitors, operators, big and small, doesn't matter. Mm. So let's go back to the company. Um, we have a pretty good understanding of the product. In terms of a company, like you guys started, you said, so, you know, probably, I'm guessing mid-2020, early 2020 sometime? Uh, launched June this year. <laughs> yeah. 21, okay, shit. So June 5th. Obviously, there's probably a little bit of build-up before that. And so kind of walk us through... Like what is the some of the challenges there? Like you guys bootstrapping it, you raising capital, like so yeah. So we we got together and started talking about it, figured out what we could and could not do. Yeah. And we went through a few iterations before we kind of parsed this down. I think a lot of a lot of small companies, at least in their general idea phase, go through this where you're in a sort of gestational period. We had a wide space, a wide ecosystem that we wanted to target. You know, Clay had mentioned that it was all about data harvesting. So we sat down with a couple of different companies that were looking to like the, the, the cannabis industry in Florida. We spoke with some companies down there that were growing and distributing, but they didn't have any centralized data storage. So we talked to them about censoring and data harvesting. We had a calls with uh, some other companies that had, it was a sales company doing clothing and they had their data spread out over about four different platforms. Again, disparate sources, data harvesting, kind of pulling all that in. All the while, we were still trying to focus on getting this IoT solution out there. And we basically decided that almost like a Linux idea, being good at one very small thing and doing it really well is much more valuable than covering it and being a cheesecake factory of restaurants. Mm-hmm. We realized that while we could do those things, our expertise lends itself to this to being in this space. We also realized that our backgrounds lend itself to this and that what we were trying to do while there are competitors that are pumping data into their cloud, there was nobody else that we could find or were aware of that were streaming data directly to their clients and basically surrendered the data ownership argument up front. Mm -hmm. And so it took some time for us to go from this wide ecosystem down to something narrow, uh, plenty of energetic conversations around what we should and should not do. And then we finally landed on, this will be the thing that gets us the furthest by focusing on what we're good at. I like that you talked about that because that's something that I think most like aspiring entrepreneurs don't really understand. Um, Just a couple examples, talking with a guy who, uh, known for years and finally went on his own and he texted me he was like what week week one i'm in it's like man a lot different than kind of what i expected a lot of like small changes things i need to kind of like pivot 
But I feel like it's very rare, at least from my experience with the people that we've talked to on the show, that you kind of know exactly what you're going to do and exactly what your business model is going to be exactly yeah. in the market that you're going to play in right at the gate. And you kind of just figure that out through feedback and just kind of exploring. I also made a post of like, you know, me and Colin met in 2016 and um, it was posted on LinkedIn like what, last night or something. And it's outside the... Like yeah, so place. yeah, land of yeah. a thousand hills, yeah. man. That was like our first office because we didn't have an office. And so it was like, I was running through all the different things that we had done, kind of like as pivots of us trying to just figure out, you know, how, where we wanted to play in this space. And it was like, you know, we thought we were going to build the next biggest EP. Did end up some, owning some wells in Oklahoma, but it was definitely not like the next Exxon or anything. Uh, and then from there, you know, we'd write some white papers around security tokens and blockchain use in oil and gas. So there was huge opportunities there. Uh, that did kind of turn into something later. Um, and then there was also like, hey, we wanted to kind of look into, you know, could we help companies in this space with like marketing? We never landed a single client. But like each one of those, like the butterfly effect of going through those right. kind of thought processes, for one, helped us understand the business models of those extremely, extremely well. Um, and then so once we got to Wildcatters of being able to, for one, me, I came into the industry as a tech founder. I can talk with you guys on a technical level. Right. But at the same time, I can sit down with EMP guys. And because we went through that, it's like, you know, I can talk to EMP guys because I've done that too. Yep. You know, and so it's really, it's funny to like, so many people think that they have to get it right the first time. Right. And I think that's the biggest misconception. You can look at it through, uh, you know, creating pieces of content or creating artwork or really creating anything, creating businesses. Is that uh, what I like to think of is it's a, it's a slab of marble and you're constantly chipping away at the shit and eventually <laughs> it takes shape into something. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think too many people get so like caught up in perfection and trying to figure out every little detail before they put one foot out the door. When in reality, you need to put a lot of like put one foot in front of the other and then you figure out shit as you go along. Yep. I agree. Yeah. It's, we're much more in the, the that phase. Like, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. moving forward and we've had a lot of traction and success for us being only around for a handful of months. Um, but we definitely yeeted this shit off the cliff, dude. I'll just be honest with you. Like, Miles... That's the best way to do it. You didn't Miles yell quit his job to do this full-time. Mm -hmm. Like, pre-revenue. And, you know, like, that's insane. He, <laughs> you know, not insane, but in a good way. This game believed in it, right? That proof is in the pudding. And I turned down... I had some pretty decent job offers. Uh few on the service side and one actually on the operator side. But the thing was, I felt, it's hard to explain, right? But I just felt like it was the right time. If I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to either fail or I'm going to have moderate success or maybe it'll be really successful, but I'm going to do it. Dude, if you fail, who gives a fuck? Exactly, right? You know, like seriously, what's the worst that happens? It's better to aim high and miss than never take your shot yeah, at all. You know, really, it's it is, and it's it's funny. I've found that, especially with, well, a lot of our stuff is contracted out in the field because yeah. it is very hands off. So we focus a lot on other things, like at home, right? Yeah, uh, home office, right? That's what I mean. So it's like I've found with such a small group, it really will affect day to day somebody's mood or things like that. And I'm guilty. Of, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm the worst, dude. I am the worst but it's like it's really conceptual kind of mental it's a state that you almost have to maintain of what you someone might perceive or say is or define as success i guess it's 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 very hard to do but and it's very fragile and it 
can vary and wane from hour to hour, from day to day, to month, as you probably know. I think entrepreneurship is, it's, there's only two emotions. And I think it's pure bliss or complete agony and there's nothing in between. Yep. And it can be at one o'clock, it's one and at two o'clock, it's the other and at three o'clock, it's back to the other. I'd say that's a fair Absolutely. Yeah. It feels it feels fair. And too. I think you have to be like a masochist a little bit because you have to like wanna yeah. wake up and just completely get punched in the face every day. Yeah. Like have, have you guys have you guys watched Silicon Valley, the show? Yes, I love that show. Or, no, dude, uh dude, have you, you seen it? Billion Dollar Code. You need to watch it. You, you need, need to watch to... the Billion Dollar Code as a short series. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen that one. Four episodes is about the guys with uh Earth Terrorvision, which ultimately something Anderson guy and it, it it's next iteration is Google Earth. And they just get hammered in court, just some hackers from like Germany. But they called the billion dollar code. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I favorited it. I haven't watched it yet. Watch it. Okay, I need to watch the that. Music's good, acting's good, writing is good. But Silicon Valley, for those who like or have not been entrepreneurs, and, and if you've seen the show or if you want to go watch the show, like it is so, I mean, I know it's funny, but it's like it is so accurate because like literally in one episode, these guys like have major breakthroughs and they're on top of the world and they're high fiving. And the next episode, it's like something absolutely catastrophic that is going to run the whole thing. And then the next episode, like that's literally the cadence for like yeah. all five seasons. Well, it's like really good things, really terrible things. The, the, the trough of sorrow yeah. is very real mm-hmm. in the start. The trough of sorrow is more like it's just how it shit is. It's not a trough. You just get pumped up every once in a while. You know so, I mean? so let me ask you this. So on the, I've got my own answer, but on, on the days that are tough, right? So on, on those days where it's like, man, I feel like everything's, everything is falling apart. What keeps you marching forward as an entrepreneur towards that kind of ultimate end goal? Like I kind of have like internal mantras for myself of like, hey, just don't be a bitch. Like, let's go. Like, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, you do yeah, don't be a bitch or what. I mean, I think, yeah, that in a way, I, for me, um, I think it's, I would tell myself or I'll think, now that I think about it, do some real self-examination, I guess. I would say that just like the highs, the lows, they pass. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I need to do right now in order for myself to be set up to be prepared for the next high the next opportunity because that's what i've noticed is like the the best the highest highs that i've had is come from what someone may say luck but in reality i was just ready for it Mm -hmm. right like this uh some of the stuff that we're working on now two months ago uh, i wouldn't have been ready i would have done some chicken shit excuse or something like that right i just like we can't do this right now right blah 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 whatever the case may be Right. You know, but I think it is, I think to myself, I don't want to go to do a nine to five. I never mm-hmm. have. I've never had that professional satisfaction by working for somebody else. Maybe a little bit in the field when it's fun and you can, you know, rip someone's head off, spit down their neck and then be friends still. But, but I get a sense of satisfaction from, from that greater than I ever yeah, I would say my worst day as an entrepreneur over the greatest day of ever working for anybody else, Absolutely. honestly. Absolutely. I think for me, it's it's more so, I don't know, like this shit just like gives me life. It's like, it's oxygen, you know? It's fun. And just the, like freedom. Literally, literally the thought of giving that up and working for somebody, like it like sucks the life out of me. And it makes me feel very claustrophobic just thinking about it right now. So 
yeah, it's like there is no other option. No, you know. And I think like, like now that you like now that you're experiencing it full time, it's like there's no going back, right? And no. I think that especially in those early stages, it's like I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I never have to go back to that. Yeah, I, it's so true. Like I will first buy a thirty uh thirty five hundred flatbed and a gooseneck and. Yeah. I kept my CDL and I'll run hot shop for myself and barter my own deals before I go work for somebody else. Like I don't care. Yeah. Like, and that's not a bad gig either. I like driving. No, you can make a lot of money. Though, oh yeah. Absolutely. It's actually like, yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've thought about just buying a few trucks and hiring some drivers because Dude, absolutely. like it is yeah. hot right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I love that. I love that hustle of like just doing kind of like been there multiple times over of like just do whatever it takes to survive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes your harshest critic and the hardest person to answer to is, yourself yeah because you can't lie to yourself you can't bullshit yourself it's like this new level of accountability that i've found um and i guess not the truth but uh to get too far into it but it's like yeah you can't bullshit a bullshitter and i'm a bullshitter yeah and i'll see right through my own shit and there's just no way you just so the i guess the unfortunate news is that once you achieve the kinds of success that you guys want like the goalposts move and you're always chasing something else. And so like, and that's just the nature of it. And I think that in order to kind of be happy on that entrepreneurial journey is to, to be kind of based in gratitude and like understanding where you come from, but also at the same time, not to become complacent, right? And just being and accepting, oh, like this is good enough, you know? Because right. once you accept that, you don't continue to Dang. kind of be on the offensive and are constantly looking to evolve that's when businesses and entrepreneurs like that's where you go to die, you know? Yep. So my wife said it was pretty funny. She was like, you know, if you, uh, if you just were a little less ambitious, you probably wouldn't be so depressed all the time. <laughs> I was like, I've never felt something so real in my life. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry. I identify as a billionaire. I'm just not one yet. So <laughs> you just literally, you sit there across the table, just stare in his space for what may feel like an eternity. You yeah. know, she's like, Oh, she knows me. Yeah. She knows me so well. I know. So my uh, the dynamic with that trying to deal with that stress from that and still because so you get that big high we've had a few highs like high highs right and some really big lows got hit in the mouth a few times and things like that and no matter how high the high is um, I I have a great appreciation for my wife because she keeps me grounded right she's a nurse and she you know it's been one for many years and stuff but it's like hey guess what happened today she that's great what xyz needs done in the house so let's get to go ahead and it just it keeps me grounded and keeps me in more of reality type thing yeah so i am i am fortunate for that yeah i was, I was kind of wondering if if i would ever been able to do or maybe and maybe not do but maybe within the time frame that i did without the support of my wife in the early days um because she was like when i was making no money she was the one who was keeping the lights on yep exactly you know, so MVP. <laughs> But uh, as we as we got to wrap up, we went super deep on the entrepreneurial journey, which I love. Yeah, throw little nuggets out there because I like that because for one, we've just had an influx of people kind of reaching out lately and saying like, "Hey, we've been listening to the show for a long time, and you know what? Fuck it, we're doing it. You know, I quit my job, I'm going all out. Like, and, and here's what I'm gonna do. And so I've spent a lot of time with those guys lately, so it was kind of top of mind. Yeah. So love to kind of dive deep into kind of the psychology of entrepreneurship is something I know intimately. And so it's always fun to Maybe. see as you guys are kind of early in the journey, see how that grows and kind of blossoms and changes over time. Um, sure. But excited what you guys are working on. 
So if anybody's listening and they want to reach out, they're like, hey, we, we think we have a need for Rivet. Uh, what's the website? Uh, Rivet.io. Okay. Or they could find us on LinkedIn. Same thing. It's R-I-V-I-T-T. Yep. .io. R-I-V-I-T-T. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes below. And then you guys are on LinkedIn, right? Yes, yep. sir. Yeah. We are. So we got Clay Bonin and then Miles Hill. Hill. Uh, so go check them out. We'll put the uh, links in the show notes as well for that. Um, guys, thanks for making the trip. Yeah, cool. From thanks, across man. town. No. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> awesome, guys. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, take two seconds. Uh, check out our new website. We completely redesigned the whole thing. It's really nice. Uh, the team spent a lot of time on that. If you guys like it, let us know what you think. Catch you on the next episode. Cut, 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 cut.